0: Welcome to True Crit, the music podcast where John Digital and I, Lizzie Benito, Nerd no out about artists that we love. In 1994, the band Portishead released Dummy, the iconic trip hop album. I hate the phrase trip hop. Yeah, me too. To I hate it, which I'm actually really excited to chat to you about, John.
1: Yeah, me too. This records fuck me, this record.
0: I know, right? <laughs> I know we talked about the audacity of Steely Dan coming out with Can't Buy a Thrill as their first album. Yeah. But The audacity. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how dare you, Porter said, come from literally nowhere, like nowhere. Yeah. And it was like an overnight sensation, this album.
1: Oh, it was just, it was fucking massive, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was huge. I wouldn't call it genre-defining because there were a few acts, obviously Massive Attack were around already because it's sort of, you know, there's a link between the two bands geographically more than anything else. But, you know, stylistically, not very similar, I think said would kind of forging their own path. Jesus, what an incredible album to just... And sound like a defined, clear, clarified style straight away that actually still sounds all these years on relevant and fresh and interesting and so richly layered as well. How dare they? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like a really melting pot record once you kind of know all the pieces... they put together you can see how they got that from that and they got that from that and they got that from that but it's actually putting those realising that you can put all those ideas together
0: Mm.
1: like now loads of people are familiar with like all your classic soundtracks Leo Schifrin, um, Ennio Morricone like all of those really iconoclastic soundtracks But I think mid nineties, that stuff was like way, way kind of underground. There were people that were just like, this music's amazing, but it didn't have the same kind of like mainstream breach that it does now. And it's just amazing that they were listening to that stuff and had an instinct to create something that represented all those different pieces of art, really. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's funny you should say Ennio Morricone, and I haven't ever made that connection before until you literally just said it now. But there are moments of real cinematic drama in this album that is so Ennio Morricone. Yeah. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And it's so interesting going back to this as an adult, because obviously this came out, I was 14 when this album came out. Yeah. It was played a lot in... Lizzie's bedroom in 1994 (laughs) and it meant something quite different to me back then and now I've kind of got this really sort of nostalgic attachment to it because it kind of saw me through a lot of teenage angst years but now I'm 40 and listening to it again it's with a completely fresh set of eyes yeah and a completely fresh understanding and of just of life really and because some of the things that they sort of touch on are quite abstract i think
1: it's well, not much no it's not
0: much <laughs> <Shiba. laughs> About like The influence That this album Had on Different bands And I was thinking About Bentley Rhythm Ace Do you remember Bentley Rhythm Ace Yeah When they kind of came out and they were using the sampling of classic jazz records and yeah. just other cheesy stuff as well, but it just didn't have the finesse of Porter's Head.
1: Yeah, I think what's really amazing about this record is that it does have samples in it. Mm. It's only got six samples on an 11 track record. And loads of stuff that sounds like a sample yeah is it's, them it's sampling them. themselves
0: yeah so i picked up on that actually and it's really interesting how they do that and how they will have like a you know a hammond organist come in and play but they make it sound like it's some oldie record that they've just you know dug up and played and how they do that i thought a lot about beth gibbon's voice she's got the most amazing voice yeah yeah and how she does it on a bunch of songs, like how she almost starts to kind of impersonate like a torch singer or yeah. someone like Billie Holiday. Yeah. But she always just brings it back so it's not like a pastiche. Yeah. And that control and that precision is, through a debut album, like holy fuck.
1: <laughs> I was thinking that this record is made... It's very much kind of an instinctive record. It feels like something that was made on instinct and feel Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, like with the Steely Dan back catalogue, having a knowledge of music, but whereas Steely Dan use it in they subvert the theory side of it. Yeah. But with these guys, they're actually subverting the creation of music itself. Mm. Using the studio as an instrument. Yeah.
0: Wait. Mr. Ons, then, track one. Can you imagine opening your debut album with scratching over a theremin? <laughs> <laughs> It's and just it's, great.
1: I was trying to dig into my memories of hearing this record. Mm. I never owned it when it came out just because I was completely smitten with American alternative rock.
0: Oh, John.
1: I had MTV. Like, yeah, I said it,
0: I, but you know, it's not all yeah, like whale, I, is it? Yeah. I always listen to whale, John. <laughs> I liked whale. I like whale too. But. You know,
1: I just I I don't think my my tastes weren't developed, or I just wouldn't allow myself to fully enjoy this record because it didn't have any guitar in it. Right. Okay. Or just something, some stupid.
0: No, I I know what you mean because I I had a similar thing with. So I love Bat for Lashes and. There was another artist called Nikki and the Dove that came out around the same sort of time as right. Bat for Lashes. And it really felt like Nikki and the Dove were kind of cashing in a little bit on the yeah. kind of like mystical, you know, spooky vibe that Natasha Khan monopolized. Yeah. And I deliberately avoided Nikki and the Dove for that reason because I just thought, oh, they're just trying to be Battle for Lashes. So I came to them really late on and I love Nikki and the Dove now and I'm annoyed with myself for not. It's almost like you get, you kind of make a conscious decision to sort of avoid music and avoid bands because you just, you know, you make some stupid decision in your head about what they're going to be like and just avoid them yeah. deliberately. So I get that, I get. And also if you're not really into, because it was a bit of a thing, wasn't it? When Trip Hop came out, I hate the name Trip Hop. I really hate it. Yeah, I hate let's, saying like, it.
1: Let's not, it's it's just, yeah, it, it's just an enemy. Like, oh, it's such a shit term. Invention. Yeah, it is really but, shit
0: you know it's like help me this is like hip-hop but it's not hip-hop and i don't really know how to pigeonhole it let's give it a name
1: yeah i would say like this record is deeply set inside hip-hop
0: well it is of course it it massively is and that's their origins yeah really is is hip-hop and crate digging and bonding yeah
1: it's far more of a hip hop and an R&B record than it is anything else.
0: Yeah, I find the idea of it um, being like a dinner party soundtrack CD just really funny because it's so, it's really dark. It's yeah, a really it's dark really, album. It's not it really jolly dark. at all. It's not like, oh, let's, you know, sit around, you know, beef bourguignon and yeah. <laughs> listen <laughs> this to
1: it. Because like, this record's really like, I see it as like a precursor to Mezzanine by massive. Yeah, yeah, you're
0: right.
1: I really feel like this and that record are really, really
0: related. Like I was saying before, like geographically, it feels like some amazing music kind of came out of that part of the country at that time. And yeah, I think they share distinct DNA, don't they? Yeah, with me and
1: you how you were really connected to it and I wasn't. I think that's location as well. Because oh,
0: because you would have been like geographically closer to it, wouldn't you?
1: Oh, well, geographically I was, but I was in Cornwall and Cornwall's probably about 20 years behind the rest of the country. Oh, okay. So I had, I had very limited idea of like what hip hop was really, but maybe because you were a bit closer to London. I don't know. Yeah.
0: I watched MTV all the time. I watched the OMTV raps all the time. I think I've told you this as well. Stay up late, like stay up late watching the OMTV raps, like this little middle class white girl (laughs) in a in a tire. It's really bad. Yeah, I kind of took myself to to hip hop really, but yeah, I don't know. Dummy coming out. It combines what I love because you know I love female vocalists. Yeah. And I love hip hop and having Beth Gibbon singing over scratching is just like a dream come true for me.
1: Yeah.
0: I went on a small tangent when I was looking up Mr. Ons. Do you remember? This might be me misremembering history. Do you remember back in the 90s when there was this weird, like... Resurgence in popularity of like Thunderbirds yep. and Captain Scarlet, because so obviously yep. Misteron's are the bad guys in Captain Scarlet, aren't yep. they? And I can't remember whether this song came before or after this weird little kind of it, kind of this ironic obsession.
1: I think this was before. Okay, I think this may have been a thing that kind of that brought that idea those or not the idea but but kind of created a kind of nostalgic like hang on a minute that was like really amazing
0: i listened to the mr On's theme, so they have a theme yeah which is by the barry gray orchestra yeah it's just such a clear influence i mean it's almost like i should apologize <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful
1: And it's not a theremin on that either, is it?
0: No, it's not. It's some weird French instrument. I don't know what it's called. It's called uh, a onde Matinot. I love theremin. So I really love, like, dark kitsch. Mm. So I love the theremin. I think theremins is just an amazing instrument. They're crazy and they sound amazing. So I love this one. So it's right up my street. This whole sort of vibe that the album has, which is this kind of dark... Like I say, dark kitsch, but then they've kind of got this Bond theme type tremulous guitar going through as well, which on a bunch of the songs as well. It's such a distinct, kind of like Cold War spy film soundtrack yeah. that they've kind of got throughout this whole throughout the whole album, like not not all the way through, but it's it's such a defined sound yeah. that they just came out with straight away. And yeah, Mr. On's is yeah, it's really setting out their intentions straight away.
1: This opening track it feels like it's a manifesto, really, yeah to me
0: agreed, and then we move on to sour times there's so many like big songs on this album, yeah,
1: yeah, do you know what? I was really surprised like when I you know as as we do like we familiar with these record all these records that we've talked about mm-hmm. but then once I actually really sit down and really give it some time, then it's just like oh fuck this song's song oh fuck fuck this song yeah like jesus this fucking yeah. record mm. like sour times i felt like this song was everywhere
0: yeah me when too this record came out i also feel like there was some weird little resurgence i think the, the dulcimer got a lot of attention during the 90s because this one always reminds me of the box by orbital as well which is real dulcimer heavy yeah It's got that it's that vibe isn't it it's that spy film vibe that yeah they have you have have you seen
1: the third man
0: no i haven't i may have but i probably can't remember it,
1: i won't explain it too much because you can't really explain the film without giving away the plot okay it's got awesome wells in it and it's just this um 50s spy movie basically and it's got loads of uh i think i think it's a zither that's on the soundtrack to that mm-hmm. but it but the whole soundtrack is that and so it was when i watched that i think i watched that like in my mid-20s the third man and i was just like fuck said they definitely saw this film
0: It's on the internet about one clear film reference, that Assault on Pre-Sick 13, that they talk about in an interview that inspired one particular song. Yeah. So they definitely have cinematic influences, but you can hear it throughout the whole album. It's so distinct and obvious. Yeah. I find the lyrics on this album quite obscure. I feel like this album's much more about the music. Yeah. The lyrics in this one really intrigue me because I feel like, is she talking about wanting a married person? Because she talks about ending the vows, end the vows, no need to lie, and then circumstance will decide. (laughs) feels like she's wants someone who's married and can't be with them yeah but it's all of the lyrics are really vague and really miserable <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't
1: say they're miserable
0: oh i don't know man
1: That's not miserable That's like Yeah but
0: they're married
1: That's like Caught up in something Like really Intense mm. Okay I would say the lyrics On this record <laughs> To me they're intense
0: They are really intense
1: Yeah They're like really Kind of tight emotions mm. Because they're so abstract They're just really haunting
0: mm-hmm. But
1: it fits so well With the music Oh it's like The perfect mm. It's it's the perfect accompaniment
0: Can we talk about Strangers? Of course we can. I think Strangers might be my favourite one on the album. Really? Yeah. The whole production of it just really gets to me. So her voice is amazing. And like when they start the song, it sounds as though she's in a bar. they're far away, yeah. you're, you're far away listening to her singing in a bar, and then there's that drop which just completely knocks you off your feet.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's the full production, and I just... I oh, yeah, I love it. Again, it's quite interesting lyrics. It's quite philosophical. It's I think it's talking about everyone having an individual perception of the world. So yeah. you might see the dew and the tide rising, but your experience of it is different to everybody else's. Yeah. So we are the same, but we're strangers. Hence the name Strangers. It's such a great groove. It's yeah. Just...
1: I, like, really love the kick drum on this. Yeah, which really is, good. It, like, really reminds me of how a low-end theory by Tribe Quest sounds, which is like, there's loads of like, for a, for a hip-hop album, like it is one of the, the first that's like really, really bass heavy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, just, just that kick is just, you can feel it.
0: Mm, but you can with this one as well, because it starts with that power and then it kind of takes you back and you're listening to her in this bar and she's singing that opening verse yeah and then it just kicks back in again and it just totally oh, i just love it yeah, <laughs> absolutely awesome. love it i love this
1: one well we'll get to my favorite okay but it's okay. really it my favorite's really vanilla oh is it yeah
0: okay <laughs> um because i also really really love the next song as well it could be sweet yeah because I feel like this is a little bit of a departure But I have a very distinct memory Of listening to this when I was a teenager And <laughs> being very teenagery <laughs> Listening to it in my bedroom um, And her voice I probably to talk about her voice all the time She's just absolutely unbelievable voice It's just exquisite Her voice is I don't know
1: if it's because she's got like a bit of a southwest accent yeah but it's like her and pj harvey they both have like a similar kind of tone to their voice and i can't work out if that's their accent coming through a little bit
0: i don't know i think i'm not sure i don't know if i completely agree with you about their voices you know i think they have a similar tone with pj harvey The way PJ Harvey sings, and this is how I always think about the way PJ Harvey sings, is that she sings as though you can sing as well as her, but actually you can't. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: that that makes sense. Does that
0: make sense? sense? But then when you listen to Beth Gibbons sing, she's got such an incredible control over her voice that I've just, you know, obviously I've tried to sing along with Beth, but I can't because she's just got the most incredible power. I don't mean power as in volume, I mean control and yeah, you know, precision with her singing. Yeah. She has this just incredible fragility in this particular song and it almost feels like and there's this moment right towards the end where she, she says that last it could be sweet and yeah. then she has a little breath, she like breathes out a little bit at the end. And it makes me feel really emotional because it's so beautiful. It's really intimate, it's a real intimate little moment when yeah. she sort of you hear that little breath coming out at the end. just love it i think also musically this feels probably the most connected to massive attack yeah because you've got that kind of driving like hi-hat that's sort of going on throughout the whole record apart from one other song i think it's probably the it stands out the most i think it's not as kind of heavy and deep as the other songs
1: yeah like the hi-hat really stuck out for me Mm. because it's a slightly weird timing Mm. but again it's like it's like a real like hip-hop Style, mm-hmm. it's just like a one and a two, and then on the third, it's kind of like you get like four hats, like one after the other.
0: Mm, yeah, and then we're on to "Wandering Star," which this song has occupied my consciousness, my subconsciousness, forever. I don't know why. I have I've had this song in my head on and off since 1994. <laughs> I don't even know why, and I've never even looked at the lyrics about it until like for this podcast yeah and i've absolutely well i i don't really have any idea what it's about it alludes to the bible i think and there's some ideas that it's talking from the perspective of a demon maybe yeah (laughs) jolly dinner party
1: (laughs) yeah it's, it's exactly, Father, it? yeah, when you you know, you're dipping your, <coughs> dipping your meat into some fondue. <laughs> not a euphemism. It's
0: not a euphemism, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But I think it's the most like deliberately angsty moment on the album. Yeah, it's definitely definitely got some religious overtones to it. Hasn't yeah, it? I think so. I think so. It's like the blackness, the darkness forever. I think it's probably a good time to point out Andy Smith, the DJ. yeah. It's just amazing. Just all the
1: scratching on the yeah. yeah.
0: Amazing, amazing. For whom it is
1: preserved.
0: The the Have you ever watched their um their live performance in New York? The New York. I mm.
1: I don't think I've watched it all the way through, but I've definitely seen bits of it.
0: It's very good It's very good Obviously there's that And then there was The, the, the J- Jules Holland performance As well Which kind of Propelled them into, Yeah you know, to But they, they, they didn't really successful.
1: Enjoy performing live Did they?
0: No I don't think They were a live band But then you can Sort of understand that Given the level of production Because you can imagine Trying to kind of Incorporate all of the scratching Just the scratching Into a live performance Yeah Of these Particular songs With all of the instruments That they use And all of the records That they use It's just really, really difficult.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's just such a precise record, isn't it? That Mm. enable to enable you to play it live, you pretty much would just have to replicate it, night after night. Mm. Really difficult. That wouldn't be fun for anyone. But
0: then, probably why that performance in New York was good for them, because I mean, you know, they had an entire orchestra at their disposal. Yeah. Which worked really well. I enjoy it more from the perspective of seeing Beth Gibbon perform. Yeah. Because she's just there with a mic with a fag on the go. (laughs) Iconic. There's so many iconic moments in this album as well. We haven't even got to the iconic moments, I don't think.
1: No, I don't think we have either.
0: So the next song, It's a Fire. This is probably my least favourite on the album. You're going to tell me this is your favourite, aren't you? No. No. (laughs) <laughs> oh good okay <laughs> but i find it really interesting because it's so it's actually quite different to all the other songs but it's like slap bang in the middle of the album yeah it's almost like an interlude
1: it's not on the vinyl version either
0: no it's not but so but you inter- kind
1: of feel like if they were happy to cut it off then did they were they big fans of it themselves do
0: you think they deliberately stuck it on there as like an interlude Almost like yeah, Alluding Because yeah. hip hop Has interludes Yeah And R&B has interludes Yeah Yeah. It makes me wonder Whether they suck it on There deliberately To be like Almost like a palate cleanser Yeah Just to go straight sense. back Into it
1: Yeah That would make <laughs> sense And it's Yeah Well because you're so Because this record's Nearly an hour long mm-hmm. So To put it Onto vinyl You're going to have to Cut something off mm. To bring it down to Two sides
0: Mm so it feels a bit throwaway. Yeah. To the point that's... where when it ca- when it came on I was like what's this one? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's on a debut album there's always a few throwaways. I don't think there's a debut album that's all killer all the way through.
0: No, I mean this is pretty, you know, outstanding debut album isn't it? You can't compare them musically, but when you put this sort of clear statement of intention of Dummy next to can't buy a thrill which is actually quite like you know scrappy isn't it really yeah. stylistically yeah i think dummy i'm not going to say it's be- one's better than the other but in terms of intention in terms of cohesiveness this one is dummy is just far more realized yeah. than can't buy a thrill yeah and, but then i don't you know, know why we're comparing stevie <laughs> down to Portishead, but you know but then we've
1: had you know we've had like 25 years of music or nearly 25 years of music In between Mm -hmm. the two So There's more of like A musical language To draw from Isn't there Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like making this record And Mm -hmm. You know This is on like An independent label It's not Part of like The big Like music industry Machine That existed in the 70s No
0: It was Yeah I suppose It's very different Mm. Do you think that They were were Probably just given Much greater Freedom Weren't they Porter said just to kind of well they just did they just did they just made their music
1: and yeah Yeah, they made it just happened for them yeah and it all all the pieces just fell into place and Mm. they had a label that wanted to put out the record and yeah it just it just all fell together
0: yeah but like indie music was a thing though wasn't it in the 90s
1: (laughs) just a little bit
0: Yeah (laughs) Have you heard of this genre called Indie? (laughs) No, never heard of it Don't know what you're talking about Testify So we're moving on from It's a Fire, which is, you know, it's all right. Oh, good Hammond organ in It's a Fire.
1: Yeah, really nice Hammond organ.
0: Amazing. I feel like we should at least mention that. To Numb, which is, boom, straight back into <laughs> 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 what we've come to expect. I find this, I love Numb, but it does feel like a kind of combination of a couple of other songs just done differently. Yeah. It's got a really good groove, and then that little kind of French accordion sample. I don't even know if it's a sample, or if it's somebody actually playing the accordion. I don't think it's it a
1: sample. I don't know what it is. <laughs>
0: don't know john i haven't gone that far digging into it to be honest with you i've just been enjoying listening enjoying listening to it and writing my notes down about it i know we talked about it before but this song is the song that prompted me to think about how they use instruments and how you're never really sure whether it's a sample or whether it's just them fucking around with their own own recordings yeah i don't is there a hammond organ in this or a Rhodes? maybe that's it, again, it sounds sampled, but I don't think it is.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any samples on this track. I don't think so.
0: Oh, amazing. I'm so impressed. It's just
1: amazing that they were using those tools, like using samplers to actually make something sound. It had been sampled. Like, I just love that mm-hmm. idea so much.
0: Mm, yeah, me too. It's great. God bless them. I've just loved rediscovering this album. Yeah, it's been a really pleasant experience. Moving on to roads, I think the most 90s thing that ever happened was this song being chosen by Courtney Love to be in the soundtrack for Tank Girl. Do you remember Tank Girl?
1: <laughs> I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> so there's a scene. I saw Tank Girl in the cinema, don't judge me. I know, right? I felt like a really rebellious act when I was 14, 15, however old I was. But there's a scene where... I oh, She's having like this dust bath or something. Is it Laurie Petty? I think yeah, it's Laurie Petty. Laurie Petty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's having this dust shower or something. She's being like de liced or something, <laughs> and it's like a really moody scene. And then they play "Roads" yeah um, by Portishead in the scene, and I cannot. Every time I hear this song, I cannot get that scene out of my head. Mm.
1: How can it feel this
0: wrong? I think that's the most nineties thing that's ever happened. <laughs> it's a beautiful song oh it's gorgeous so yeah. this is the one that was inspired by a scene in a song on precinct 13 yeah so the cinematic influence is quite clear i think yeah. in this one because it's got the strings and that lovely muted bass in the background and then there's that Rhodes as well the Rhodes organ in the background i love it
1: yeah it's, it's beautiful it's, it's gorgeous i do really like this song the john carpenter vibe like totally bleeds through
0: i'd like to understand i'd like to see their full list of cinematic influences it'd yeah. be really interesting movie music's just the best it when it's good it blows you away doesn't yeah, it
1: definitely and like i was saying earlier you know there's such a massive appreciation for it now mm, yeah but like i hadn't seen assault on precinct 13 when this record came out i don't think i saw it until like my early 20s and even then i wasn't kind of enamored by it cuz it's no such a like cheap film <laughs> but now as now as like a 4-year old i think it's amazing
0: yeah it's funny isn't it yeah. but it's like you know all like the western films that ennio morricone soundtracks yeah i never appreciated ennio morricone until much later
1: we're back in this vinyl revival Mm. and all these kind of classic soundtracks have been repressed. You would have to do some pretty serious digging in the mid Mm nineties to come across those records. Yeah. Because by mid nineties, everyone was listening to CD. Yeah. Like vinyl was pretty much dead then. Mm -hmm. So it's, kind of yeah you know like the serious music heads getting this stuff and wanting to kind of pay tribute to it
0: Mm. so a pedestal it does feel like some of the songs sort of blur into one in this album but i don't want that to sound like it's a bad thing this album is like a mood
1: Mm. isn't it because you text me earlier saying that you would just listen to this record writing angry poetry
0: <laughs> just just to establish i was a teenager yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't do that anymore but i did i used to literally sit in my room and listen to this album and be very angsty and wow. self-absorbed
1: and i said to you that it was good music to brood to
0: it is very good broody music i still yeah. find it astonishing that people used to listen to it at dinner parties <laughs>
1: You're not going to get over that, are you? No,
0: I'm not. It's just like, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Everyone in the 90s was introverted and horny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, it's right on the cusp before the internet, isn't it? Yeah. Because I think as well, musically, all of this stuff is so familiar now. I think part of that is because of the internet because it's so easy to access all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. And then when you actually put it into that specific context, you realise how astonishing and innovative this album really was for its time. Yeah. Um, because it's so much harder to just access everything that they access to yeah. make this album. Yeah. And the knowledge that they must have I mean, it must have just literally been them just like Digging crates and yeah. mucking around with bass lines and samples and just vibes. Yeah. That's the thing. It's really impressive.
1: Well, it's, it's just a world that just doesn't exist now. Yeah. Whenever I'm reading about music, if somebody mentions, you know, an influence that I haven't heard
0: of, then I'm like straight on it. You couldn't have done that back then. No. What are you going to do? Going <laughs> Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Get the CD-ROM out
0: yeah mate down the library isn't that
1: fucking mental i honestly don't know how we survived like the knowledge of the world or your knowledge (laughs) on the world could be informed by a (laughs) cd-rom
0: yeah that people used to sell door to door (laughs) what a weird thing oh man we're fucking old we are old mate don't worry about it
1: (laughs) don't worry about it yeah as we kind of get towards the end of the record like you're very much i think that's why i struggled with it when i was younger because i think maybe i i felt like it was like one tone or just Mm -hmm. like but but it's not no it's not it's very nuanced and it's very there's a lot of subtlety in this Mm -hmm. music and and that's only something that because i i probably haven't listened to this record for like Ten years. No, I haven't listened
0: to it for a really long time. So it's kind of yeah, not all the way through. No, Um, but I listened to it to death when I was a a teenager. But it's nice to come back to with fresh eyes and fresh ears and listening, and even just listening to the production of it and listening to the detail in what they. What they've done Is just Because you know I mentioned this to you before But the whole process Of listening to Steely Down Has made me really Acutely aware of drum tracks Yeah So it's been quite interesting To take my Drum tuned ears To an album like this And listening to the beats And listening to how It's been put together But even just the production Of stuff And the engineering of things I've always been a little bit Like I've always tried To pick up on engineering anyway It's almost been like A brand new album Listening to it now It's been great I've really enjoyed it I've really enjoyed it So, like, Biscuit, the penultimate song, again, it's one of those kind of, there's not really much else to say. It's like brooding. There's a heavy use of sample in this song, which is that I'll never fall in love again. The organ, I don't know what organ it is, but there's that lovely chord progression on this, but then the scratching on this one's brilliant, I think. Yeah. I did this was actually the one that yeah I said about how ridiculous it would have been to be at a dinner party with this playing in the background. Um but then the the last track is is glory box which is probably their most famous
1: yeah and it is my favorite is that
0: your favorite
1: <laughs> i told you it was vanilla
0: that's not vanilla no no it's not vanilla is it because it's got a really distinctive guitar solo in it
1: no it's the sample ah this is the only track on the records. where i was like always interested i always just liked the sample
0: yeah okay like,
1: because it's got that little bit of string in it. It's got that really nice kind of slow paced bass line in it. I just always loved it. And I always knew it was Isaac Hayes. Yeah. So it's Ike's Rap 2, Mm -hmm. which is on Black Moses by Isaac Hayes, which is like a double record. It's fucking amazing. It has the most amazing version of like Why Do Birds by uh, The Carpenters on it that you'll Mm -hmm. ever hear. And this led me into listening to Isaac Hayes.
0: No way. What, this song? Yeah, It was your gateway drug. It was
1: my gateway drug. Not immediately, I must say, not immediately. It wasn't until like late teens, early
0: 20s. Yeah, but then that's what I love about probably the most actually about hip hop is the sampling and the journey sampling will take you on. There's like, it's a really obscure thing, like that tune All About the Benjamins, which yeah. samples the Jacksons. It's great. Is it great to meet you, that one?
1: I'm not, I'm not. There's
0: sure like a, the well, there's like a break in this song and it's just got this sample in it. I was like, what the fuck is that? That sounds amazing. And then I found out it was the Jackson Five or the Jacksons. I can't remember which one it is. But it's that thing. It takes you on a little journey and opens up like a whole new world of music to you yeah, yeah. um and it's, it's usually used so innovatively in hip-hop yeah and it's that's like, what i love about it
1: it's like the ian jury sample in can i kick it mm-hmm. by tropical quest yeah and i always from the first time i heard that record like i was always like what what is that bit yeah
0: yeah like, but then it, this, this loops back to peg
1: yeah doesn't it yeah yeah yeah, it does loop back to Peg, which is the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just me hearing samples, just like, I've, whatever that? that song is, I want to yeah. hear it because yeah. that this just sounds amazing.
0: Yeah. I feel like Glory Box is like the natural conclusion to everything they've explored throughout the whole album. Yeah. And it does feel like quite a Portishead thing to do to stick their like biggest song at the, right at the end of the album
1: it's awesome because yeah. they could have just opened the album with this
0: yeah but, but no
1: they open the album in a really kind of subdued way yeah and it builds up to this yeah it's great yeah it's awesome it's a genius
0: and they even have an interlude at the end as well it's almost like a I guess it's like a gig set isn't it
1: yeah in a funny way the guitar on this is, I just love the guitar on it
0: yeah it's great it's iconic it's one of those iconic moments there's a couple of iconic moments Nick because there's that I'm so tired of playing playing with this bow and arrow lyric yeah. as well which is just just what everyone thinks of I think when they think Porter said it's a great song it's a great album it's awesome fucking love it it's been so lovely going back to it and exploring it yeah as a grown up
1: <laughs> I need to say a... that the, cov- the John Martin cover of Glory Box is fucking amazing.
0: not believe he did a cover of it. It's like late period,
1: John Martin. Yeah. And the lyrics just fit. So he, they obviously resonated with him mm-hmm. and he wanted to do it. Um, And when you kind of know the story of John Martin, it's just all fits together. And when he just opens, when he's just like, I'm so tired of playing, playing with this bow and arrow, it just like nailed it oh okay it's 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 i love it i'm gonna listen to it
0: immediately when we finish recording i love john martin too he's great yeah what an (laughs) album great album really enjoy talking about it
1: yeah me too and maybe it inspires you to go and check this record out for the first time or to revisit it or yeah to nod in agreement (laughs) over our musings oh bye